Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible, open it with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. So a few weeks ago, my son Ames, he was riding his scooter. He loves riding his scooter. Uh, He's my youngest son. Uh, He was riding his scooter down the street and um, something happened with his scooter. A piece broke on the front, the front little two wheels that are right there. It turned sideways, threw him off, and he crashed and burned. And uh, it was bad. He got up talking trash to that scooter. He was mad. He was all scraped up, you know. It was, it was a bad deal. But because the scooter broke, it hurt him. And because it hurt him, well, it had to go in the trash. And so we threw that, that broken old scooter away. This week was his birthday. He turned five years old this week. And on Wednesday, uh, we gave him uh, all of his presents, but one of them was a brand new scooter. And this thing is sweet. Like he absolutely loves it. It's blue, which is his favorite color. It has the adjustable handlebars on the front, so you know it's a big boy scooter. And then the coolest part of it is it has these wheels that have these LEDs in it that whenever you roll, those wheels light up. And it's super cool. Like we were on a walk the other night uh, through the neighborhood and Ames was riding by and there were some neighborhood girls over here and I saw him. Like he looked down at his wheels, he looked at the girls and then back down at his wheels like, yeah, I know you see this, you know. He was feeling it. I mean, it is cool. It's a cool scooter, and uh, it's brand new. He's absolutely loving it. It's fun to get new stuff, isn't it? Like, even as adults, like, you you understand uh, how fun it is to get new stuff. It just makes you feel better uh, to get the new iPhone, you know, that has a few more gigapixels or whatever they have than your old one that you just got rid of. It has five cameras instead of four or whatever it is, you know. Like, the new one is always better. It's fun to get new clothes, new shoes, new truck or a car, something like that. It's always fun to get new stuff, but it's even better to get new stuff whenever it's replacing something that was broken, huh? Like you've experienced that. You know that that is is far better. Today in our text, we're going to talk about something that's called the new covenant. The new covenant. And I'll just warn you off the bat, like... I hope you brought a pen or something. We're going to get kind of Old Testament Bible nerdy this morning a little bit, but I think that you can handle it. But we're going to talk about this thing called the New Covenant. It's a big deal in Scripture. So if you remember from last week, we were in Jeremiah chapter 29, and that's the famous verse in the book of Jeremiah. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your good, not for disaster, plans for a future and a hope. And that's, that's what we discovered last week. But the context was the people are in exile. They're in Babylon. And God says, actually, in 70 years, I'm going to restore you, you know. And we talked about how 70 years equals a lifetime. And so God is saying, yes, I have good plans for you, but it's in the middle of pain, and you're going to be in the middle of exile and in Babylon for 70 years. But I have a plan to restore you, you know. Got a plan to restore you. And I think, you know, maybe you have this question of how's he actually going to do that? 
How's he gonna restore them? Like, it's bigger than just the exiles going back to Jerusalem. It's bigger than that. God has a bigger restoration plan that includes all of humanity. I'm gonna restore you. How? Well, it comes through the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. So that's what we're gonna look at this morning. Before we jump into this, I want us to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. So just right where you sit, just ask God, God, would you speak to me this morning? I'll pray for all of us as you do that. God, would you, would you speak to us? God, we, we wanna see your glory and your goodness, your grace. God, as we look at the new covenant and all that you've accomplished for us, God, would you just help us just to sit in awe of what it is that you've done? And would you help us to respond in faith? We love you. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, Jeremiah chapter 31, start in verse 31. God says this, look, the days are coming, meaning in the future. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. So in this passage, it's actually the only passage in the Old Testament that that specifically uses this terminology on a new covenant. That's what we're gonna look at. What is the new covenant? I'm gonna show you three things that we see here in this passage about the new covenant. We're gonna see that it is needed, that it's better, and that it's final. The new covenant is needed, it's better, and it is final. So again, if you're taking any kind of notes, the first point is that the new covenant is needed. We see that in the first two verses, verses 31 and 32. Now, in order to have this conversation, we need to do some, some, some back work. Like we need to kind of wrap our heads around what all of this means. What is a covenant? You know, like, what, what even is that? A covenant is, is a word that's used a lot in Scripture. We, we still have it in our vocabulary today, but we don't use it probably as much as it's in the Old Testament here and in Scripture. A covenant is a, a promise or it's an agreement between at least two parties, and there's some kind of obligation on at least one of the parties. Does that make sense? There's an agreement that takes place between a couple of Sides. And that's what we see in the Old Testament over and over again. And all throughout God's purpose in making covenants with his people, God has the purpose of restoring this broken relationship that exists between him and humankind. Okay? His goal is restoration. And so there's four biggies, there's four big covenants in the Old Testament. And really, what you see is kind of a progression of what God is doing through each of them. The first covenant that, that you see, or the, one of the four big ones, is the covenant he makes with Noah. It's called the Noahic Covenant, and it's found in Genesis chapter six through nine, okay? This is where God sends 
the flood. Sin has taken over the world. And what we see in the flood, you know the story of Noah and the ark and the animals and all that. We see that God is serious about sin and he's serious about restoring his people. And so through this act, God cleanses the earth of sin and he's basically gonna start over and begin to establish a people for himself. And the promise that he makes to Noah is, I'm never again going to flood the earth. Never again gonna flood the earth and wipe out all of creation. And most covenants are sealed with a visual sign, okay? The visual sign of the covenant made with Noah is the rainbow. And so whenever you see the rainbow, it's a visual sign for you as well that God kept that promise that he's never again gonna wipe all of creation off the planet. The next covenant that we see comes in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and 17. It's a, it's a covenant, it's a promise made to Abraham. And the promise that he makes to him, Abraham, this man who had no children at the time, God tells him, hey, you don't have children, but one day you're gonna have a huge family. In fact, go outside, look up at the stars, and if you can count them, that's how many kids you're gonna have. That's how many descendants you're going to come, that's gonna come from your line. And then he goes further to say, through that lineage, you're gonna have one descendant that is gonna bless all of mankind. All humanity, all creation is gonna be blessed through one. And the visual sign of the covenant made with Abraham is the visual sign of circumcision. Now, um, if you have any questions about what that might be, you can ask Shane Hobbs right after service. You can just talk to him. You know what, in the first service, Keith McKay was sitting right here and I said, you can ask Keith McKay, and I've already seen the text messages that he's received and the responses he's sending out. So you know what, just don't ask Shane or Keith about that. But that's the visual sign that goes with the Abrahamic covenant. The next covenant that you see is the one made with Moses, the Mosaic covenant, and that's found in Exodus chapter 19, 24, 31, in that area. And, and what happened, if you remember, the Israelites were in 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and God rescues them out of slavery using a man named Moses. And Moses leads them out, he splits the Red Sea, they, they, they walk out and God is with them and protecting them. And then God says, I'm gonna establish a covenant, establish a promise, with you that I'm gonna establish my people. I'm gonna make you a nation, a holy nation that represents me to the world. But this covenant was two-sided. God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, but you need to uphold my laws. You need to uphold all the, all the ways, the behavior, the lifestyle that I'm setting before you. You're gonna do that, I'm going to do this. In Exodus chapter 24, there's a ceremony where Moses sets that before the people. They say, we'll do that. It was sealed with a blood sacrifice that was sprinkled on all the people, which is gross, but it's symbolic. And so that's what happens. You have a covenant that is two-sided, God and man. It's sealed with a sacrifice and it's sealed with blood. The visual sign there would be the Sabbath where God is saying, uh, take a day and just trust in me. Like this is all about work and it's all about external things, but you're gonna take a day and you're gonna remember that I'm God and that I'm good. The next covenant that you see, again, these are all a progression. God is, God is serious about sin. He, he's gonna cleanse the earth. He's gonna establish a people that are numerous. He's gonna send one who's gonna bless all the earth through Moses. He's gonna, he's gonna establish a nation and a people that are to uphold his laws and live a certain way. And then the final one you see is the promise made to King David. It's the Davidic covenant. 
2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God tells King David that I'm going to establish your throne and your reign and rule forever. There's one who's coming after you, King David, whose throne will never end, whose reign and rule will be forever. Spoiler alert, he's talking about Jesus, right? And so the visual sign of that one, of the coming Messiah, the one who's gonna correct all that's gone wrong with all these other covenants, is Jesus. The visual sign is Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. That's what we see. Do you see how it's a progression? All the, way, all the way from the first pages of Scripture, God had a plan to restore his people through these covenants, through these promises. All right? So as we get into this discussion of the new covenant that he first introduces here in Je- Jeremiah chapter 31, God specifically mentions the covenant with Moses. In verse 32, he mentions Egypt or the Mosaic Covenant. Again, that's the one that he made with Moses, saying, I'm gonna establish a nation and a people, but I'm giving you laws and you need to uphold those laws, right? And and in Exodus chapter 24, verses seven and eight, let me just read what happens. It's this covenant ceremony. He took the covenant scroll, that's Moses, and he read it aloud to the people, and they responded, we will do and obey all the Lord has commanded. Guess what? They don't. (laughs) They break their end of the deal. But Moses took the blood, splattered it on all the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. So they say, your covenant is good. We accept the terms. We'll uphold our end of the deal. Anybody know what rule number one that he gave Moses was? You should have no other gods before me. (laughs) Right? Before Moses can even come back down the mountain from getting the laws from the Lord. The people have decided he's been gone a long time. Guess we need a new leader and a new God. And so they take all their jewelry off and they melt it down and they form this this golden calf that they can worship, right? So before Moses can even come back, they've already broken rule number one. And the thing about it is, it's way more than just one rule they gotta keep up with. 613 rules or laws in the Torah. They can't even keep number one, right? So you see how they've got a huge issue here. And really that sets the tone for them. All throughout the rest of of Israelite history, they just fail miserably. Like page after page, if you're reading through the Old Testament, you're just gonna see like they continually turn away from God. Parents, this is like whenever you tell your kid, like, hey, don't do that thing again. And 10 minutes later, they're doing that thing. And you're like, am I going crazy? You know, that's how God must have felt. They just continually forget that he's the God who rescued them from slavery, split open the Red Sea so that they could walk through it. He's the God who brought water out of a rock so that they could drink in the desert. He's the God who provided breakfast for them every day in the form of manna, or like I like to think of it as like cinnamon toast crunch, Every morning, God's making that for them, and they just continually forget. They continually turn away from him time and time again. I've told you before, probably many times, and you're tired of hearing it, but I believe the thesis verse of the Old Testament is Hosea 11.7 that just says, my people are bent on turning away from me. And that's what you see throughout their history. Essentially, the story goes, God was faithful, they were not. You know, 
And he makes this covenant saying, I'm gonna do this, but you need to be faithful. And they just can't keep their end of it. They broke their end of the deal. And honestly, they, they had no capacity to even keep their end of the deal. They're broken and they're sinful people. And I know that we read these stories and we're going, man, how could you not, like, how could you be so crazy just to turn away from the Lord? And they get a bad rap, but let me just ask you, if your standing with God was dependent upon your effort and your lifestyle, well, how would you be doing? What kind of grade would you get? You know, some of us, we'd have a hard time even making it out of the parking lot, you know, without breaking a few of these laws. So you can see why a new covenant was needed, can't you? The old one's broken. This one is needed. God's heart to restore the broken relationship with his people was needed. A new covenant was needed. Number two, we're going to move quicker through these next two. Number two, the new covenant is better. It's better. How many of you have gotten over the course of your childhood or life some hand-me-down stuff? Yeah. Hand-me-down stuff. It's kind of fun uh, sometimes, depending on what it is that you're getting. New is always better. Ames is uh, his scooter that broke on him. It was actually a hand-me-down scooter. It was, it was a birthday gift for his older brother when his brother turned four. And when he outgrew it and got a new scooter, Ames got the old one that broke and tossed him into the street, right? The new one, though, well, it, it's brand new, the one with the wheels. Like, it, it's not a hand-me-down. It's his. And in the same way, the new covenant, it's not a renewal of the broken old system, it's not a refresh, it's not a polish, it's not a refurbished type of version. It's a completely new covenant, and it's better in every single way. Paul actually makes that clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. He says that the old was good, and it served a purpose, but this new one, it doesn't even compare to the old one. Like This new one is far, far better. How is it better? Well, God says here that it's going to be written on their hearts. That's what, he, that's what he says there in verses 33. It's going to be written on their, on their hearts. When God gave the law to Moses, what did he write it on? Stone tablets, right? He, he wrote it on, on stone. Now he's saying it's going to be written on their, on their hearts. I'm going to put it within you. I'm going to reach within you and write it on your hearts. The point here is this. It's intimately personal. The new covenant is intimately personal. In Ezekiel chapter 36, another place where it's talking about this coming covenant that's better, um, it talks about when a person puts faith in the Lord, it says that they receive a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So, so don't miss it. The old covenant, it tried to control their conduct, and it was all about their behavior and them trying to uphold their end of the deal, which they never could. But the new covenant, it's going to reach within them and make them a whole new person. New character, new soft heart that's receptive to the things of God. So I'm going to write it on your hearts, not some on, on some external stone. It's also better because it, it moves from external rituals to internal devotion. Verse 33 says, I'm going to put it within them 
and I'm gonna be their God and they will be my people. See, the old covenants, they were all outward. It was, it was behavior driven and they continued to fail miserably, which led to just endless sacrifices and rituals that were required. The new covenant is, is inward, all right? This new covenant, a person is, is transferred from the inside out. It's not about behavior. It's about God's presence inside of you. So what this is, it's better because it's an emphasis on the personal nature of the relationship. It's not a covenant made with a nation or a people where they gotta uphold some end of the deal. It's a personal connection, an intimate connection between God and the person written on their hearts. That's specific. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the new covenant is better because it's a personal connection. Finally, the new covenant is final. The new covenant is final. Look at verse 34. It says, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. I will forgive their iniquity or, or their sin and never again remember their sin. So what we see is we see forgiveness, total and complete forgiveness and freedom from the guilt of their sin. This forgiveness that he's offering through this new covenant is gonna come and it's gonna be permanent. Again, the old covenant required just endless amounts of sacrifice and rituals. They were constantly having to try and cover their sin problem. Because they're, remember, Hosea eleven seven. They're they're just bent on turning from God. And so God in his grace gave them the system of sacrifices. If you've ever read like the book of Leviticus where it's lining out like how many doves there to kill for this kind of sin and all, like if you've ever read any of that and gone just what in the mess is going on with this, this seems weird. Uh, we don't really understand sacrifices uh, today probably. But Leviticus chapter 17 verse eight explains what's happening with all of these sacrifices. What God was trying to do is he knew that they were going to continually fail and not live up to his covenant. They weren't gonna uphold their end of the deal. They're gonna sin. And so God gives them a way to atone or pay for their sin because sin demands a payment, right? We know that. Scripture teaches sin demands a payment. God is holy. He can't look on it. It has to be atoned for. And so the system that he set in place was they could sacrifice animals and spread its blood and that would atone for that specific sin. Leviticus uh, 17.8 talks about how the blood is the life of the animal. The blood carries the life. And if you're in any kind of medical profession or, or whatnot, like you understand that concept and that idea. I remember one time my son Dax, he he, uh, he got really sick and he had what's called hemolytic anemia, where basically his body was killing all of its red blood cells. And uh, his lips were turning blue and he was just very lethargic and whatnot. We couldn't figure out what was going on with him. Took him to the hospital and they figured out what was going on and gave him all these blood transfusions and, and different things and ended up you know, saving him. Blood is essential to life. And that's what Leviticus 17, 8 is talking about. And so to atone for that sin, God set up this system in which they could slaughter an animal, spread its blood, and be atoned for that sin. But the problem was, 
is they were continually sinning, continually breaking God's commands and his laws. And so they were all the time having to just continually offer these sacrifices. It's a very, very bloody scene throughout the Old Testament. And and the writer of Hebrews talks about the fact that this endless cycle could never actually finally pay for their sin. They were always gonna have to offer another sacrifice. Hebrews 10.1, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. He goes on in verse four to say, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. You see it? So they had a system, God in his grace gave them a system to atone for their sin, but they're always gonna need another sacrifice. That animal sacrifice can't actually atone for their sin fully. But in this new covenant, it's final. It's final. Unmerited grace is promised. There's gonna be one sacrifice that's gonna pay for all of it. And even though like they still didn't deserve it, God is promising to forgive their sin and remember it no more. It's not dependent upon them and what they do. It's all on God. In this situation, this covenant is one-sided. God's saying, I've seen how you handle your end of the deal and you break it every single time. In the new covenant, I'm taking it all on me. I'm taking all the weight on myself. I will do this. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember it no more. So it's forgiveness, right? It's freedom from guilt. It's also forever and final. That's what he says. He says, never again remember their sin. Like never again. So the new covenant he was promising is never gonna fade away. It's forever. So you gotta imagine for them in exile, you know, they're, they're in Babylon and they're hearing that God has good plans for us, but it's in the midst of a lot of pain in 70 years, but he's going to restore us. And then they hear that God has this plan for a new covenant that's gonna replace all of the way of, that they've ever known it. In fact, the reason they're in Babylon is because of punishment for their, for their corporate sin as a nation. God brought in Nebuchadnezzar and had him ransack the city and take the people back to Babylon. That's all because of their sin, so they understand fully. And now God's saying there's a new way that's coming. Like you have to imagine how they were feeling, right? What they were thinking. They're thinking this new covenant perfectly meets my deepest need. It's far better than the old system and it brings final restoration. But they were looking forward to it. It wasn't yet, right? It wasn't yet. Let me ask you, what would you pay for something that you desperately need? Like imagine just your deepest need. And, and what I've come to this, this week is like, what if you needed a new heart? If you needed a heart transplant. The one that you had was, was falling apart, it's broken. Doctors tell, it, tell you without a new heart, you're gonna die. What would you pay for something like that? The average cost I learned this week of a heart transplant in the United States is $1.4 million. $1.4 million. But if that's what you needed to live, well, you'd do everything you could to pay for it, wouldn't you? You'd scrounge together every dollar, every penny that you could, form some GoFundMes and different things like that. Like you would find a way to pay for it. The craziest part of this new covenant 
that they, that's, that's desperately needed. It's the best of the best. It's the last one you'll ever need. The craziest part is it's completely free. It's completely free. It's a gift from God to you. It's like, how in the world is that possible? Well, we live not in the day of the exiles. We live post the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And I'll tell you that the way that this is possible is only through Jesus. The new covenant that is desperately needed, far better than anything else available, and the final one that you'll ever need is sealed by the sacrifice and blood of Jesus. In fact, the writer of Hebrews references Jeremiah 31 multiple times in chapters, in Hebrews chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. If you're looking for something to read this afternoon, maybe go and read that. But in all of those places, each one of those chapters, he's explicitly teaching us, he's saying that Jesus' work on the cross seals the deal for this new covenant for us. Have you ever wondered why you need Jesus? Like maybe you just grew up in the Bible Belt and this is kind of the thing that you do, but maybe have you ever just thought like, why do I actually need Jesus? There's a lot of other religions. There's a lot of other gods out there. Why do I need Jesus? Well, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 15 tells us, it says, therefore he, talking about Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the internal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. See it? The old covenant required their action and their behavior, and they continually broke it. But the new covenant is accomplished and sealed by God alone, by Jesus. And Jesus did everything for you. He did everything for you. Like you had a great need. And outside of Christ, you still have that great need. Your sin causes separation between you and a holy God. We know Romans tells us that the payment, what you deserve for your sin is death. You have a great need for someone to step in. And what Jesus did, he did that for you. He lived a perfect life that you never could have. He became the sacrificial lamb who would be slaughtered on your behalf, making the atonement for your sin. Whenever he goes to the cross willingly, he lays down his life, they shed his blood. It is the atoning sacrifice that your sin demands. They put him in a tomb because he's dead. Three days later, just as he said he would, he comes out of that tomb alive. And when he does, he offers you and me life. See, he did what you're incapable of doing. It was desperately needed. His work on the cross and the, and the empty grave on your behalf was desperately needed. It's also what he did was, is, is far better than anything you could come up with. Trusting in Jesus instead of yourself is the far better option. It restores a personal connection with God. And then he, whenever you trust him, you place your faith in Jesus for your salvation, he places his spirit inside of you and he begins to transform you from the inside out. It's not a list of rules on a rock that you got to follow anymore. He places it inside of you, deep within your heart, replaces your heart of stone with a heart of flesh, and begins to transform you from the inside out. And the biggest and, and, and most important part of all of this is that what he did on the cross for you is final. It's the last one that you'll ever need. 
That's the last sacrifice that you'll ever need. You don't need to be sacrificing goats and doves and all kinds of things to make atonement for your sin. Jesus' payment for you seals the deal. It's settled and it's finished. Your sin is forgiven, the guilt is forgotten. And all of that in this new covenant that was promised in Jeremiah chapter 31 is available to you today and it's a free gift of grace. You just simply have the faith to place it in him. And you throw yourself underneath the blood of Jesus and you say, I desperately need you. And he's willing and able to save you. This new covenant, again, promised in Jeremiah 31 to a group of exiles in Babylon, is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what the visible sign is? The visible sign of this new covenant, what we call the Lord's Supper. It's the the bread and the the drink. In fact, Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 19 and 20, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is the visual symbol that the promise has been kept, that that the deal is done, it's finished, and it's final. So whenever we take that together, that's what we're doing. We're remembering his promise that he alone fulfilled and the grace that he extends to you for your salvation. What he's done seals the deal. That's why you need Jesus. Have you ever wondered why we worship Jesus? Like, why do we come in this room and why do we do this thing? Well, it's because of what the writer of Hebrews says, that Jesus is the mediator. He's the go-between of this new covenant for you. The one that you desperately needed, the one that is far better than anything else you could ever imagine, and the one that is final and done. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. 